0: You're tuning into the Active Mom Podcast with physical therapist, Dr. Carrie Pagliano, a real mom's guide to all things postpartum return to workouts after baby. If you're a postpartum mom, coach, trainer, or physical therapist looking for answers on how to get back to running, CrossFit, yoga, Pilates, HIT, you name it, without the fear of pelvic floor issues or doing something wrong, this is the podcast for you. Let's start the show. All right, This has been months in the making. This is my dream come true for 2023, so I can die happy now. (laughs) I am so excited (laughs) to bring back on Grenya Donnelly and finally have Emma Brockwell on the podcast. You guys have been um, amazing authors of some great research, but we want to dive into it's been four years since Uh the 2019 uh, postpartum return to run guidelines. And so we want to have a look back. And reflect like we look upon our children. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on the Active Mom Postpartum podcast.
1: Thanks for having oh, us, Carrie. Thank you
2: for having us. And I know Gwenya's been on before, but um very excited to be here. So thanks, thanks for having us.
0: Absolutely. Okay. So we, we were just chatting a little bit before we 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 press a chord here. Four years, you know, that's that's yeah. you know, that's that's preschool. <laughs> <you know? laughs> It, um, that's
1: ada is that ada that, that is Aiden. ada's going to preschool in september so, yeah. yeah oh my good.
0: goodness isn't that funny you have multiple children and some of them are in writing and some of them yeah <laughs> <No>.
1: <laughs> it's my, it's actually so i would have been pregnant with ada when we yeah when we put them out i would have been early pregnancy
0: oh my goodness yeah so it is it is your wow. your, th- your third kid so oh. Fourth. Fourth. oh geez I, I took one away from you I'm sorry
2: <laughs> I was gonna say if you're saying the guidelines are a child then it's actually Gordon's fifth child oh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> we got kids coming out of the woodwork here so four years later where do you think you know where are the biggest leaps forward and I don't even know where to begin with it because I have conversations all the time with um moms and researchers and I'm like this has been such, it's almost like a renaissance in postpartum return to sport and things like that. For you guys, like, where's the where have the biggest leaps forward been for you?
1: It's been huge. And I think as we've talked about on previous podcasts, we weren't sure how the response would be to the guidance. So we never thought it would be as big and as international as it has been. So the biggest things for me, and I'm sure Emma will add to these, is that it's put... Female health and I suppose namely pelvic health on the agenda. So previously this wasn't considered and it wasn't considered by anyone but pelvic health professionals. And so suddenly we're saying, hold on a minute, everyone needs to look at this and here's what you need to know. So that's been huge. The other thing that I would like to highlight is that several researchers have... Since they've been released, came and said, Look, but we never thought that this needed to be researched to such a degree until we've seen those. So that's been a huge thing. Wow. P- big people who have big power to do things and to research it are saying, This makes so much sense. Like, how do we not realize this? And so just even for that alone, it's been massive.
0: That's mm. incredible. Yeah, I mean you, Emma?
2: I agree with everything Borneo said, and i I'd, I'd just add that what I, I guess one of the parts of the journeys I've enjoyed the most is seeing women's reaction. Um, I don't know if more women are running postnatally or postpartum, um, but I feel like they are in, in our little funny social media world or bubble. Um, but I feel that women are more keen to explore exercise and running. Mm-hmm. And they're also really, really passionate about their pelvic health. You know, women are now accepting that, yeah, I may have had a baby, but that's, doesn't mean I should be leaking urine when I run or experiencing vaginal right. heaviness so I think women are owning it a lot more and saying this isn't good enough we need and should be having more contact with healthcare professionals and amazing fitness professionals so that we can get back to or start exercise in the way we want to so that we can do it forever more without having any pelvic health con- conditions so I think yeah. from that side it's been really exciting as well.
0: Yeah when, when I talk to patients it's really interesting because um, a topic that keeps coming up is um, you know when we talk to our mothers and our grandmothers um, to try and find out a little bit about pelvic history and that sort of thing and how we've had to navigate as moms you know our mothers oh they never had any issues this or that But it's different because they weren't as active. Um, If they did exercise, the intention was very different. The intention, my mom's generation, was you would only exercise to lose weight. And it wasn't until I think I was, you know, done with university, my mom was exercising more for fun. um, And she still does that now, which is fantastic. But it really, as we're that intermediate generation that we're exercising because we want to but also we're having to play the comparison game with our moms that supposedly got through uh you know without any issues and we're thinking what's wrong with us when actually we're comparing apples and oranges and then if we have daughters (laughs) yeah that's That's
2: such a good point I I kind of think when it comes to our or my parents I think there was a lot of guilt around exercise as well you know it sort of felt like a little bit of a A reward or or something that perhaps mums shouldn't be making the time for but now we've really changed that narrative and said actually self-care is really important and if you're happy family's happy but also if you're exercising it's more likely that you're going to have a more physically active family and I think that reframing has been really positive but there's also been this shift of Exercise, physical activity is really important for your mental health as well. So you know, there's been such a switch, and and really the guidance or the guidelines came at a time of yes. this wave just growing, and we were right, right at the top of it, and that's just been so brilliant. Yes,
0: and and having it come just. Because I know you planned this—that it was going to peak right before a pandemic where people were only running. <laughs> Way to go yeah, on I that was. timing! <laughs> we, we we caused the pandemic, <laughs> girl. Can you take it back? <laughs> take it back. Um, no, I mean, and, and again, I think from a uh, consumption of information perspective, the fact that it was out there and people were hungry. And it was disseminated and I think people were taking in medical information in such a different way. Again, it was this perfect timing of everybody was ready for it from a, you know, um, moms are moving more, we were ready for it from a practice standpoint and that we were kind of searching around and making things up as we went and, you know, kind of bastardizing what we could from the sports literature. But yeah, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think it could have come at a better time. Um, mm what's what's kind of the most unexpected things that have come from this and we can go positive and negative so like what are what are some of the things that that kind of have come from all of this that you didn't expect there's a
1: lot actually of i suppose maybe it should have been expected but it wasn't but there's a lot of look at people will always pick holes in things that you do and nothing's ever perfect and everyone has their own starting position and biases and things like that and that's fair enough but I suppose there's definitely people who comment on them who have not read the entire guideline really (laughs) Um, well that's what I would find because there's a lot of edited highlights and um, captions that come from them that um, things are said and they are nearly as if they're nearly painted like the whole point of the guideline was that this is actually female empowerment, kind of what you mm. mentioned there, the public are ready to be understanding stuff about their own body while they were targeted at health and fitness professionals it's the moms who are ready and hungry to read this yes. information on their body, but so there was supposed to be a patient empowerment tool and a clinical reasoning tool and yet there's a lot of people posting that they're scaremongering, that they're <laughs> you know, restrictive on women and I'm like, oh, that's the opposite of what the intention is and actually never, like even in the BGSM um, uh, infographic that we published, when you go through the flow chart, like people are stuck in the time scales, which I get, and we can talk about that in a minute. But yeah. when you go through it, it's like, is the postpartum woman 12 weeks postpartum? If not, is she at least six weeks continue on? Like, right. you know, like, mm-hmm. so there's your, yeah, there's, there's a there's gray area. Yeah, They're, absolutely. Like, and the thing about time scales is, some people hate them, some people love them. <laughs> but I think in medical society and the world, we need generalized ballpark timescales yes. for understanding and planning. So if someone has a fracture, they have a ballpark right. idea that I'm going to be in cast for X amount of weeks and I'm going to be then grading back into loading for X amount of weeks. So I'm going to be out of sport for whatever. Now they right. might get the fracture clinic four weeks into that. And the um, consultant goes, we just looked at that. We're happy to take the cast off today and not wait another yeah. two weeks. So there's things change, but there was a right. generalized right. ballpark figure on the average population to guide that initial sort yes. of starting point, so that's probably one of the most negative things that's come out of it is the whole issues with time scales.
0: Some people yeah. like black and white, um, I, I think it's you know, I think all of us have been around long enough to know that with most things the pendulum swings. And I think this is one of those things too where um, you know the people that are going to be absolutists, Are going to be like well this you know they're they're going to find a problem with it no matter what because they don't see gray and again i have yet to see any textbook patient in you know 23 24 years um but if you don't see things that way i can see how that might be incredibly frustrating to them but it also takes a self-reflection to understand that "Mm, maybe black and white is not the best idea here Mm. yeah but
2: i i'm not sure that the message we were giving out in the guidelines was that black and white you know it wasn't
0: no it wasn't no you must
2: not run until you are 12 weeks and even if you have problems you can still run at 12 but i saw that don't wait oh we see it all the time and i think as um as a clinician what we must always come back to is clinical reasoning what we must always come back to as a fitness professional or a medical or healthcare professional is individualization you know these guidelines are for the individual, but they are guidelines,
0: you know? It's funny how people, yeah, they got (laughs) hung up on that word.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and and, and that's the thing, you know, take it with a pinch of salt, but, you know, really to have been pregnant, to have had all of these incredible physical and mental changes, to then suddenly expect at six weeks, which is mainly when uh, our postnatal mums are seen in, in the UK uh, for, for a very brief check, to suddenly see that as the green light to go without considering right. not just your pelvic health, not just your musculoskeletal health, but you as a whole, which I'm sure will come on to. Um, it's, it's it's not okay to just be signed off without consideration of these things. And right. and really that's that was the whole point was just to say, stop, think. Women deserve better. Women need better. And And certainly from my end, one of the the driving forces was, please, can we remember women's pelvic health in all of this? Because really, it just wasn't, it's not getting screened. I still don't think it is enough. Um, And I think it's just not, I, I think it's a really important thing to consider amongst other things. So, you know, I do really think people need to take the guidance as just that but use your clinical reasoning use your use your individualized approach to the guidance to really gain the most from using them
0: yeah no I I'm I'm there's a client I'm thinking of right now that she um she came to see me after her second and she I want to say was maybe four weeks so pretty early um and had gone to see another physio who didn't She wasn't aware of the guidelines, which I I don't know what rock she's under, but... um, Really, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Like, come on. How do you not know at this point? Perhaps she's on that Um, island that we were all discussing. She is, and and I and I have emailed them to her. I have yet to hear back. Um, But anyway, no. But this this client was told by her OB that she had pelvic organ prolapse, but had she was not symptomatic at all. She was a high level executive. Had just done a, a cross country move. It was if she didn't run, it was a severe mental health. Um, issue for her. Um, the other physio gave her, you know, those like printouts from the, the computer programs for exercises from like 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. She got like that stuff with like some really basic stuff, never went through any screening. And this patient was like, and, and she was told, don't do anything. Don't run. You shouldn't ever run again. You should only do swimming, you know, which, you know, you tell a runner that and we stop listening. Hmm. Um, and fortunately she had the wherewithal to come in. And I said, okay, look, we're early. We ran her through the screen. She did fine. But here's the other thing, too. It was her second child. It wasn't her first rodeo. She knew it was for mental health reasons. And it was one of those things. It was the benefits far outweighed um, kind of what would yeah. happen if we said no. And we were very clear on what the progression back looked like as far as a run-walk program, all of these things. We talked about you know, nutrition, bone health, all that kind of stuff. That context, I'm like, She's early, but she's aware. She knows it, it's not her first rodeo. We've been very upfront about, you know, you've got to watch out for this, this, and this, but I think we can go. And I think that's the thing that really is hard for people to wrap their head around is, yeah, there are circumstances when, you know, from a tissue healing perspective, okay, it's a little soon, but if if I don't, give her guidance through, she's just going to go out. Or if she stops, then we're going to have a lot of issues with postpartum depression, which is actually probably going to be far worse. And so again, those having, having a platform or something to kind of base a conversation around to say, yes, this is what the screening looks like. This is where the deficits are. But also to talk about nutrition, to talk about breastfeeding, to talk about stress, all of these things. I think that's one of the best things about it is it just provides this very neutral forum to have a conversation oh, that we didn't that. have before. Like, didn't the thing
1: too is that we built on this and I suppose I'm going to answer two things that you um, were asking about because one of the other highlights for me from what happened when these went out wasn't just that we were getting all the information out there to women and all the things we discussed. It was also that it did exactly what we wrote in the intro, that we wanted it to be a starting point to stimulate yes. research. And when Emma and I presented at a sports mm-hmm. medicine conference in Santry in Dublin, we didn't realise at that stage that we'd ever be involved in that research. So we were putting a call out to researchers in the audience, please, please focus on this. Think of women when you're researching. So it was put right. out to the audience. And it was uh, Dr. Izzy Moore stepped up from that, and she was the person who really helped I suppose progress things with us. I um, suppose starting to try to look into this and explore this more. But one of the things we put out into the Journal of Women's Health Physical Therapy, which is now being renamed. So yes, ago, that it's okay. now
0: it is now the Journal of Women's and Pelvic Health Physical Therapy. And I will not tell you how long we've been waiting for that change okay. to happen.
1: <laughs> so, good. so we put out a clinical commentary in that journal, which built and suppose applied the context of the guidelines because. Yeah exactly as you're saying, we actually have a supplementary file with two case scenarios, and one of them is symptomatic, but it was the fact that the benefits of running outweighed the risk of what you're talking about. So we even have applied it in that way. So us, as the authors of the guidelines, we have a case study putting someone back to running before 12 weeks who's (gasps) had ongoing tissue healing needs. And so it's not a hard deadline, is what we're saying. And we have tried in different formats to put things out. And yeah, I just would say that for anyone who wants finds it difficult to apply the context to the individual look up that clinical commentary we'll share it on mm. socials after this goes yep. out and um, carry because i think it's really important that people access stuff like that and yes. see the decision making process because sometimes things mm. aren't black and white and every woman's yes. different and you really have to use your thinking to work out what's in the best interest for this woman in front of me
0: Yes, yeah. Oh, yeah, that that's a perfect and I'm glad that that's out there too, because I, especially I think our younger clinicians too, that don't have that clinical experience, or maybe they haven't gone through it themselves and don't have that kind of mm-hmm. background to understand that gray. It's important to know that again, we're not technicians as physios, we have to use that clinical reasoning, that problem solving and, and, you know, our our job isn't necessarily to tell women what to do, but present the information, present the options, help them make their best decision collaboratively, and then be there for them kind of to guide them through. And I I think for for newer clinicians, again, that are looking for how do I pull all this stuff together? It's a lovely way to provide a case where exactly like you said, you're like, we wrote the guidelines, but here's where might be an example of where we're going to you know interpret it for the best outcome for this person in front of me. I love that I love that but also,
2: I think the other thing to think about is you know we're not dictators, we're not saying to women right twelve weeks and yeah. and, and, and and there's no flex in in that timeline it's about shared decision making and I think what's really cool about the guidelines is that we we wrote them in a way that could be understood. By the general public as well so yes. you can give them to your uh, patients and say look this is the information we've got this yes. ultimately is your decision however yes. knowing this 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 and this this might be why it's better to, to wait a bit longer or knowing this 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 and this actually you can go back to running sooner than 12 weeks which is really cool but it empowers women to make the decision because before they haven't really had any form of gaining that information, it's all been very conflicting and confusing. And now you just see the bigger picture. And I think that's really what the guidelines and the research from that yes. has, has started to allow is it, it, women, women empowerment. And, yes. and that's, that's just so exciting. And so yes. necessary.
0: that that needs to be amplified incredibly because the, 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 a couple of the places that I've seen, um, it it, to your point, probably they didn't read the whole thing. Um, You know, kind of like when people read just the abstract and not the entire paper or the cliff notes or things like that. And what I don't like is when you have medical professionals or physios and physios are bad at this trolling athletes, trolling moms and saying, why are you doing this? Don't you know any better? Shouldn't you see a pelvic floor PT? And that is not the intent Of this, and I don't think that's beneficial. I think it's embarrassing for our profession. That's not, we're not here to judge. We're not judge, jury, and executioner. We're here to support, to be collaborative, to help. Um, and you know, if you, if you are constantly trying to put somebody down, why would they come to you and ask yeah. for support? So that, that's one of the the things that I've seen, unfortunately, when you, when you give people numbers and things like that, and they want to go black and white with it, there's some that, that start trolling. And I just, in the DMs, I'm like, I'm really sorry. I apologize for my profession.
2: <laughs> We're really nicer oh. than this.
0: <laughs> this happened. I've seen it in running. Um, I've seen it and usually it's the, the, um, you know, it's your blue check people. It's the people that have, they're much more visible and things like that. And I can't imagine, um, you know, the amount of feedback they get um, mm. about what it's they're easier. doing that's good or bad, or I'm sure everybody's got an opinion about everything, right? <laughs> and the
1: thing is, <laughs> well, what meant to, like, uh, particularly for elite athletes, funny, I had a runner the other day who came for a postpartum check. Um and she was like, I must have then brought up, I was like, have you seen these? I'll send you copies. She's like, I've seen them. She's like, oh, the goodness, I rolled when I've seen 12 weeks. Don't, don't not let me wrong, run. I was like, this isn't about me letting you do whatever. So we talked about yeah. the fact, yeah. these are just information. And we're not trying to restrict you. We're trying to make sure you get right back at the right time for you. Yeah. And everyone's different. But it's so that we can keep you there. So you don't go back and end up exactly. finding that you've overloaded yourself some way. So it's interesting because in, I think it was a 2020 edition of the journal, of pelvic, obstetric, and gynaecological physiotherapy, there was actually Anna Kenway, who's one of our editors, carried out an interview with Tim Gabbett, who does a lot on yeah. um, low tolerance. You know, yeah. he's a scientist and he investigates a lot of this stuff, and he works with a lot of elite athletes. And they did an interview trying to apply his knowledge and research to pelvic health, and a lot of it is. Transferable and extractable, and the mm. principles can be considered the same. I like they haven't been investigated that way. Right. Um, but he, you know, he discussed the fact that we have to think, no matter what area of the body, we have to think about internal factors and external factors. So the internal factors, in terms of what's happening locally, what's tissue healing like, mm. what's the load capacity before that person was pregnant, so right. that you're having an idea of the baseline of what the load capacity might be. And we know that from research. Harry Bow's recent paper actually highlighted that postpartum women have a reduction in pelvic muscle strength by 50% compared mm-hmm. to their end of pregnancy strength. So we know that there's a change in strength there, but then we have to consider all those external factors. And that could be things like sleep and all these biopsychosocial factors. So somebody could be ready for running at six right. weeks, but actually at eight weeks, they're having a child who's there's sleep regression. There's different, maybe they're not as ready as they were at six weeks at eight weeks so this is a kind of ongoing kind of evaluation and i think once we understand that it's not just black and white yeah, we're human beings and we're complex yeah lots of things to understand and even just informing women about that doesn't mean they can't run it means that they're frustrated that their run was either symptomatic but it wasn't two weeks ago or that they weren't able to go as fast or for as long they might understand the context of it when they're able to go, do you know what? Yeah, I was told or I read somewhere that sleep can interfere, stress and psychological yeah. factors can interfere. And, and actually I've had a lot of that going on recently. And that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Right. So it's kind of like you had, not that you're looking for permission, but just trying to understand. I've had those conversations um, uh, with a lot of pregnant women. I've, I'm getting more women who are, athletes contacting me during pregnancy because they want to prepare. They want, you know, um, they want things to, to go well and prevention always comes up, which you and I know are, okay, there's some things we can do, some things we can't. Um, and obviously it's a different conversation if we talk to them in the first trimester versus if they talk to you at 38 weeks, you know, as far as preparing for delivery and so on. Um, I love having the conversation about the guidelines in pregnancy because we literally start to lay out expectations postpartum, what they can do. We set up that postpartum visit here within two to four weeks of the due date so that they have permission to like you can start to do something. Let's talk about walking. Let's talk about how your delivery went. Um, Do you need a lactation consultant? Do we need to find a, you know, a sleep person? Like how do we kind of make sure that you're set up to go forward? And I, I had two come in yesterday. It was a lovely day. I have to tell you um, because I saw them both probably like three, four months ago and their babies are three, four weeks now and they're doing great. And their expectations are on point. And one is um, she wants to get back to doing Ironman. The other one, she's very active and she knows it's going to be a long path forward but she feels good and confident with the movement that she's doing now. And you know, gradually she understands why her body is doing certain things and why it feels a certain way. And one of them just decided, you know what? I'm not gonna breastfeed and cause I need my sleep. I'm like, great, that's wonderful. This is what Empire. this means moving forward, exactly. And and that's, I literally sat back for a second. I'm like, this is different because we had these conversations before. We had these conversations close to the to delivery afterwards to, to, to process all of this. And now we have a pathway forward and you feel really good about it. I'm like that's very different than a mom that walks in your office completely unprepared, devastated because she thought she could control everything. Thought that she'd be hopping up off the delivery table and going for a run, and it it didn't turn out that way. Mm. Like those are two very different conversations, you know.
2: Yeah, um, I love that, and that's that's one of the other things I think the guidelines have potentially uh, influenced is is the the, the 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 elite female athlete world as well, you know. <laughs> Suddenly, female athletes having babies um, and and being pregnant is is a lot more, I want to say, acceptable. You know, it was never unacceptable, just to be clear. But, you know, I I think a lot of women were seeing motherhood and pregnancy as the end of their careers. And now they're seeing that really it's just another stage in their career and they can return to their sport And we're seeing, aren't we, that a lot of these athletes are doing it better than ever before. And a bit like you in the UK, I'm now getting a chance to work with some really awesome athletes who have a team's network that supports them from day one. So during their pregnancy, they are getting the opportunity to work with pelvic health physios and understand their pelvic health, understand what their do's and don'ts are in pregnancy, that they can work harder than they've ever been led to believe before. Bust some of the myths around uh, that still exist. And and anecdotally, I am definitely seeing that if we are working with women during pregnancy, preparing them for their postpartum journeys, they are doing so much better postpartum, stronger, their, their recovery seems to be quicker and and they're much more understanding of what's ahead of them because it's yes. daunting and i was just reading an article the other day in our, in our new, one of our newspapers the telegraph it was saying that uh, she's an elite rower and she just felt that she really had lost her identity as a as, uh, a as a mother going into this mother athlete role role and um you know if you've got someone like us as pelvic health physios to talk to during and after your pregnancy I think that can make such a difference not just your mental health but sorry for your physical health but for your mental health as well so you know I do I I I do think that pregnancy is such an opportunity to really nail it with 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 perinatal this perinatal population and if we've got these role models these athletes then then us the mere Right. Runners and athletes can you know be really empowered to, to yeah. move forward with our own journeys yeah. as
0: well well and I, I think that brings up a good point as far as the professional athletes one that we're seeing them two that yeah. they're actually getting support because I think there's this assumption that if you are in pro sport you automatically have the best people working with you and I don't mm. think that was always the case because they didn't have any more information than the rest of us did yeah. and so I think and, and now we're actually starting to get some baseline research, uh, you know, and as far as that stuff goes. And, and, you know, the fact that now they're finally getting the support that they should have as pro athletes as part of their job. I think that's a long time in coming, too. But, you know, it it, it took so, you know, it took those first moms to step out there and be like, all right, I'm going to try and find my way as best as I possibly can to set it up and I, I just have a feeling like, again, we, we were talking a little bit earlier about um, Lauren Fleshman's uh, Good for a Girl and I, I'm sitting at this point here where I'm, you know, looking back at my own experiences, you know, as an athlete growing up and, and what actually was going on with some of my friends who, you know, were they were great and then they tanked. And we just thought, oh, well, they just, they're not into it anymore. And it was probably just, you know, big shifts in hormones and that, that big first change. Then we've worked in this space for a long time. And now looking forward, you know, at perimenopause and menopause, which Emma, I know you've talked a ton about, is, okay, we're finally pulling a thread through all of this mm-hmm. and getting support all the way through understanding about our bodies, like in-, in Ideally, the goal is that it's not novel anymore. That, of course, you're going to learn about this stuff. Of course, you're going to have the support you need. Of course, our professional athletes are going to get the best, and we can look at them and, and kind of learn and, and emulate. Um, but I feel like this is all coming right now at, at once. Um,
1: yeah. It's, it it's interesting because, sorry, Emma, I was going to say no, but, go, um, go, go. the two part paper we put out. Um, looking at women and this is just recreational runners and um, the everyday mm-hmm. mom highlighted that like it was only a third of women were accessing physical activity related guidance I never know. mind specific to running or anything like that right. so we have an information dissemination crisis and we also found that you know things like fear of movement there you're right there's a lot of conflicting information in the internet so women are going to dr google looking for advice they don't know what to think and then they become fearful and that's The opposite of self-empowerment. So basically, giving women evidence-based information, informing them, letting them make decisions, with or without someone, because what we have to remember too is that as much as the 12-week guideline really frustrates people, we're also aware that the majority of women are not going to access help. So they're going to be on their own navigating this journey. And actually, because we don't know what their baseline is, we don't know what, we can't evaluate their delivery, we can't look at all those external factors... It probably is more on the cautious and sensitive yeah. side for them to meet the 12-week milestone and know about the load and impact test and kind of self-evaluate. Um, yep. So we know that the average woman is going to be in around 12 weeks. And funnily enough, in the study with Izzy Moore, the average time scale that women returned to running was 12 weeks. And actually, I think in Ciafelli Christopher's study, it was 12 mm-hmm. weeks as well. So we're showing sort of studies of um, populations of women and we're starting to get that data, which is really exciting.
0: I'm seeing that in um, you know those random running Facebook groups where you know moms ask crazy questions and things like that. You know they'll put, hey, you know I'm I'm ready to get going. Um, When when is it okay to start? And I love to just kind of sit in the corner and just watch what people say (laughs) because sometimes you cringe and then sometimes you're like, yeah, you got it. Um, But they're erring towards that. But there's so many more just random people. Saying, oh, this is what you should do. This is where you should go. And the thing yeah. is, I know they're not getting it from their OBs. It's mm-hmm. not coming from there. They're getting it from kind of uh, this mass dissemination of kind of where people get their information now. And a lot of it, quite honestly, is social. Yeah. So,
2: mm-hmm. uh, so, then, you guys,
0: yeah. Go on. No, no, no. Go, go.
2: No, no, no. It, no, was, no. it he, wasn't that, it wasn't that, that. It was important, Emma. It was important. You I think it was important. <laughs> now it's really not going to sound important. <laughs> so we've made a fuss about it.
0: Carry on, Carrie, because I actually don't remember what I was going to say. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, that's me too. I swear, if it weren't for my son, he's 12 now, and he's got a memory. Like, I, 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 I can't remember half the things or where I'm going, and thank oh, God if he's with it. me, I can I,
2: Honestly, this is this is one of the other perimenopausal side blooming memory. Oh
0: my god! Like Swiss cheese brain. No, I understand. I I understand. (laughs) So too bad he's not here. He would have helped you. Um, (laughs) (laughs) All right. So feedback for clinicians. Okay, you've 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 seen the guidelines used well. You've seen it used in ways that weren't necessarily intended. What is the best um, feedback that you have for? clinicians let's start with clinicians and then then we'll go to moms like what's the best feedback on how to if they're they're not aware of the guidance or they're just newly aware of it what's what's the best way to utilize the guidance
1: read it yourself first so get no but no I'm being serious because it's even if it's not your area like if pelvic health female health isn't your specialty, because there is sometimes this siloing off of oh well pelvic floor have postpartum care, that's for pelvic health physios, we're sports physios and we yeah. deal with, you know, so we don't have to think about that and time and time again I've highlighted how like within sports medicine literature we have things like groin pain, pubic pain, hip pain and all those structures they consider all the wider lumbopelvic anatomy but omit the pelvic floor and you're just like hello, pelvic floor is kind of important here, <laughs> at least include it and consider it, it mightn't be the answer but include it as a differential but so what I would say is read it because one of the greatest joys I got before I left my public sector job was seeing particularly the boys in MS in the uh, muscular skate clinic utilize them Are going, Do you know what this is my area, but I have a document I'm going to signpost you to and do you know what if you think if you read it and you think you need any help, we can send you into the services next door. And it gave them permission to have that conversation, which could have otherwise been clunky or they didn't know how to navigate it or what yeah. they say. Suddenly they have this tool that just even just read that <laughs> as simple as that um so I think read it because and don't be afraid to ask questions because if it triggers any questions from you there are contact details on the guideline you know we mm. love this conversation we love discussing it and we also are aware that they are not the be-all and end-all in that a lot of the evidence was extrapolated from right. sports medicine and right. literature that was most likely studying on men because um
0: that's what there New was. Flash. Yeah,
1: that's all there was. Yeah. So let's see where things are now, and we're really excited because we're working on more research things, and we have an international consensus. We've a Delphi that's been led by Shifali, Christopher, and Rita Dearing, and it'll be really interesting to see what that shows. Because each of these things are a step now. What do we yes. What do we know then? What do we know now? Where are we going to? And the future is bright. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I love seeing the research come out, even. Even that um it was only just released yesterday that i seen carrie bow and team's um narrative review on the impact um of exercise on pelvic organ prolapse
0: oh yeah the
1: postpartum section is really interesting because they highlight that we really don't know there's a lot that we don't know because Mm -hmm. it hasn't been studied and we don't know how beneficial or unbeneficial it is but that The principles of what we know in terms of prevalence of symptoms, the fact that women go through quite big physical and structural changes, tells you that they're going to need that greater return to sport. And that's exactly what the guidelines
0: are. Yeah, it's 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 a hard time, I think, to be a clinician in that when you see research come out it's frustrating because in, in a, a lot of this stuff right now is just kind of putting on paper things that we've kind of known, but it's confirming. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. in some ways we're like, okay, can you get to the good stuff? How <laughs> frustratingly slow is research though. It's right. so, <laughs> so, wow. so frustrating. I know, but th- but that's one of those things where, you know, it's it's been so fun talking to different researchers over, over the past year or so where um, the foundational stuff, you have to have that because that's how we start to build. And that's where we you know that's where you know we're going to be able to put stuff on you know two years from now, five years from now, that sort of thing um, but again, that's why I'm a clinician and not a researcher because i i I don't want to wait i i want I want the, the stuff to come now. I want to play with that person in front of me and and you know randomized control Maybe to don't yet. Really,
1: right uh, look at I've been on a journey though because when I went out. Say, for example, my master's study, which completed, I went in looking to study this. Like, I want to answer all of this. And then they were like, okay. And they just got me that. like, you're going to investigate and answer this. Let me not answer it.
0: And I was like... (laughs) A little bird told me you were going to get your... PhD? Is that? that oh, Did I hear that correctly? Uh, I'm i won't say who that told that. me,
1: but <laughs> I did. Izzy, I know Izzy was talking to you. Izzy did Izzy out me. <laughs> she, Izzy outed you. Yes, Izzy <laughs> outed you.
0: And I was like, it, I'm. I i was not surprised. Oh, um so I'm surprised. surprised. Because no! I went into my
1: masters. Well, I went into my masters, and I remember um Dr. Diane Little, who was my supervisor in my masters. Helped me go in to do my research project. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do a project, and I needed institutional support. So doing the masters was the way to get that. But it was all to do. I didn't want to do the modules necessarily. I wanted to do the study. Right. So I got to there, and they were all laughing about how interested I was in this, and they were like, "Wait till you're doing the PhD." And I was like, "I will never no, I can tell you yeah, now, never say never." But they just looked at each other, and were like, "Okay," and I was like, mm-hmm. "No, like I know I'm not going to do one." And it's funny because you do get it's so much hard work. But yeah. You do get a bit of a bug for it, like, and, and the clinician and me want to answer certain questions. And if I feel that they're not being looked at, I'm so keen to,
0: yes, look at them. The person I I'm think thinking is still in denial. Yeah,
2: <laughs> <laughs> she keeps kind of like, yeah, I'm doing my PhD. I I, I
0: think. I think. I think <laughs> I'm just going, right like, then I'm like, what? What's a PhD? Yeah. No, the person I'm thinking of, um do you know Lori Forner? yes yes okay Ooh, so no, that, that, laurie shout yeah, out to laurie forner again like <laughs> i mean i i remember um kind of w- when she when she started doing crossfit because she did some posts like a million years ago about like booty shorts and it was before I, I started doing crossfit and i'm like oh that girl she's amazing i can do that but then when she did her phd i'm like that's amazing i am not doing that <laughs> <laughs> never say never
1: <laughs> Me
0: and Emma come back to you at some it's stage when you're doing insane. your PhD, we will be like. <laughs> I I know my. Yeah, I can see life. you doing it. No, no, no. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. My role <laughs> in this life is to connect people and put them out in the universe. And when you publish your research, my job is to scream it from the rooftops and get it to I the people that. who that's need what, to hear it. That's one of the
1: most important jobs. though, yes. because that's what's it not is. been. That's where there's always been research. Yes. And it's been stuck there and yes clinicians don't know how to read it or understand it or what does that actually mean for practice they have said a lot of stuff that's really interesting but what does that mean so it's the application practice that i actually think is the toughest
0: job yes but it's it's also to humanize the researcher because it's so funny when i talk to researchers um and we it, it, you know, we, we prepare for the podcast. They always want the questions first, which I have to <laughs> laugh about because I'm like, of course you would, right? I'm like, I promise there's no tricks in there. There's no wrong answers. You know, I'm not going to ask you about any particular data point. Um, but I think it humanizes it. And I, I was talking to, I think it was Izzy about this, um, where we need to be able to take this information that's good and solid and reliable. And, you know, when mm-hmm. people are saying I'm evidence-based now we need to show what it looks like and you guys aren't computers either you know you have these you have these stories you have these personalities you have these ways of expressing it and it's bringing that out and making it accessible um so it's also it's it's taking the clinician and getting them to be um better at vetting research and under, and being critical of it, but at the same time getting the researchers to show that this is super applicable and how we can use this on a regular mm-hmm. basis and kind of marrying these things together so that we do become more collaborative, so we can inspire future research and not do it. You guys can do it and inspire, you know, us to 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 do things differently in the clinic. So um, that is my goal. I am not. We will not do the PhD. But <laughs>
1: well, can, can I actually jump about on that? And it's <laughs> not a shameless plug, but um, as the so. I've always been on the journal team, but I'm now the co-editor for the Journal of Pelvic mm-hmm. Enceptic and Gynecology and Physiotherapy. For my sins, I finally, they got me, and I said yes, eventually. But what we have done in the last, there's been great, um, the committee have been brilliant, the people on it are fantastic, and one of our biggest aims is to bridge that gap between yes. clinical practice and academia. And we have a new section that's been out in the last few editions, and it's going to continue, which is bridging the gap, and it yeah. talks about like we've done, like, how to read a research paper is one yes. of them. Again, it's, it's breaking it into really basic terms so that it's not scary anymore. And yes. um, different types, what's the difference between qualitative and quantitative research? What do you mm-hmm. need to know when you're reading a paper? So if anyone is interested in stuff like that, look up the journal. Beautiful. And actually, we're having one of the one of the APTA members on, in due time, Jen LaCrosse. Yeah, Jen is going, great. Yeah, she's going to give us a webinar, two-part webinar series Wonderful. on making methods, research methods, really, really simple.
0: Love, it. So, love it. I want to tan that. No, that's wow. fantastic. And, and that's again, uh, uh, Jenny, I think I've known since she was a student. Um, I love, and, and this is where you guys hopefully will take some credit where it's due that you've inspired some of these younger researchers to kind of pull some of this stuff up forward and make these connections. And it's not just us, you know, clinicians versus researchers and that sort of thing that like we get forward if we move together. And, and I think, pelvic health women's health we've always been a kind of a collaborative happy fun sort of group anyway we're always very welcoming so why not have it happen with us you know I mean we're all on the same team right so exactly I, 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 like I think that. that's super
2: important um as to what the POGP are doing because that stops the abstracts reading yeah. alone because yes. when you understand how to read a paper you stop reading the abstract yep. you don't get so scared of it Um, And then you disseminate the information much, much more effectively. The only thing I would say as a non-researcher is access to the research. I was just going to say, yes, I have to message Gronio and say, Gonya, uh, yes. you send me that paper because she has access and I don't and so yes. you know it's to a point we can't fault clinicians because if all you can read is the abstract of right. course you're going to quote the abstract because you're trying to be evidence-based so I don't know how that changes because I, I understand it's it's all down to copyright and funding but but as clinicians as a, as a mere clinician I'd love better access to research because I can I... actually do a lot more with it I think
0: I think, th- I think you hit the nail on the head. And I'm, I'm very, very fortunate. Um, we have a, a local physiotherapy school a mile from my house. Um, our, our chair is amazing. She's one of my neighbors. She's just a wonderful person. And so I'm adjunct faculty there. And so I do have access. But that's where I think conversations like this and conversations with researchers can kind of um, be a way, be a stepping stone. So if you do mm-hmm. not have that in-print access, what's better than hearing it from the researcher themselves, and kind of discussing things like that. So, um, no, I I agree with you 100% because most people do not have access. Um, Mm. And I do worry sometimes when people who do have access put out their interpretation of the research on social or things like that, and it's maybe not exactly right or a slant or or something like that. That's why I think getting it from the researcher's mouth yeah. is so incredibly important and in amplifying those voices. Because again, if you can't get it the paid version and we know, you know, the, most people can't, how can we still get that same, um, and, and again, I, I need to be entertained when I learn <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> I'd rather listen to a podcast than read the, the paper any day.
1: <laughs> and if that where I need to learn to go, take it with you as you're commuting or some, yeah, or the exactly. kids are running around and you can still yep. listen while you're getting things done. So there is, yeah. I think we have a new era of the way we need to be disseminating information and look, yeah. social media, people give off about social media, but social media has been fantastic. The guidelines wouldn't be where they are if it wasn't for social media. It's so powerful. And that is the only way some women are looking for health information. And there's more and more studies investigating this. And funny, I'm involved in a there's a project with a in an Italian team who are looking to do with the iostasis. and it's going to be super interesting mm. because they're looking at the impact of social media posts on exercise uh, behavior. Ah, uh, interesting. interesting.
2: Because one okay. came out
1: recently on YouTube for men with prostate. And how they, like So we're starting to get with the times and look at this is where people are getting health information. How can we evaluate yeah. the credibility or the authenticity of this information? Yes. How can we better improve it or do things? And without yeah. the research, what I've learned from the guidelines too is, as frustrating as it is, and that we know a lot of this as clinicians and we know what's happening in the day-to-day and we know what the patients are coming in like, until it's in black and white print and peer-reviewed journals... Mm-hmm. We don't get funding released to research stuff, right. and, and 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 that's right. been a reality for me because I'm like that's such a disconnect because we know this already.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I was I was talking with um, uh, a client of mine that she's a, a med student, um, and we were talking about um, we're talking about pots, and um, I I don't know if you guys have ever seen this. Um, there, there's a a, a population with POTS that do have pelvic floor issues and that sort of thing. That's, you know, a whole other conversation, but what she was talking about and what we were having a comparison of is what we are teaching our providers. So I, I have written for our national licensure exam. I've written for our specialty exams, that sort of thing. And typically um, you write questions in a certain way from a text and the text can't be any older than like eight years or something like that. And so, you know, Great, if I've got a text that's eight years old, the research in it is probably several years older than that. So we're writing questions and teaching our new providers from information that's at least 10 years old old. Mm. and it's out of date. Same thing for our consumers. If they, oh, I had a a friend of mine the other day, she wants a a book recommendation for menopause. I'm like, can I give you a podcast recommendation? Cause that's probably more up to date. Um, and, and that's the thing too, like it, as much as I hate Twitter, um, that's where I get a lot of, Hey, this person put this paper out or in other areas yeah. too, where people are publishing things and I, I see it or on Instagram or something like that. That's where I see the newest stuff. It's not going to be from a text. It's not from what I learned in school or from a book or things like that. And I think if people don't understand that, um, they think their providers are are up to date on information. And that's where, you know, this client of mine, she's like, I don't think we're ever going to talk about POTS, but POTS is coming up a lot, you know, in the context of, you know, post COVID and things like that as well. And she's like, this is a thing that like, I live this every day and we're not even going to talk about it because it's too new to include in my education. And so I think people don't understand um, kind of how long it takes information to come out. And when you say, hey, you know what? I heard about, you know, estrogen on twitter that shouldn't be taken as crazy that should be taken as oh hey you know what i should probably look at this because that may be or you know on instagram or something like that and that may be where the earlier or the uh, more up-to-date information is but it, that can sound really weird to somebody that you get your medical information off of social media
1: <laughs> but that's the reality of it that's it where is. the public are and if you mm-hmm. think of like the younger generation they're all stuck in phones it's everything has to be quick access they only know on demand and like it's so funny because me and my husband laugh at the kids our kids don't even understand that there was a time when tv wasn't on demand (laughs) because they want a certain show on put this on
0: commercial TV now. they don't get commercials
1: they don't know that that used to have commercials used to go to the toilet in the break be back in time Um, (laughs) and like or that we didn't have a remote at one stage i remember when a young child we had to actually go up to the tv to change the channel. like to stuff that they do not understand is ridiculous I know. like um we did I did you? I <laughs> but like on demand is where people are they want information yeah. fast yeah. they want it now and they yeah. want it without barriers so they want it without a sign in login they want it without uh, you know they want quick quick quick
0: yes yes no you I mean, you hit the nail on the head that. yeah it's,
2: also, it's uh, oh i'm so sorry carrie I keep no no ideas. keep going you're good um, you're good. I was going to say the flip side of that as well is researchers also are using social media. So, I mean, look how we managed to get 881 women mm-hmm. to answer our survey for right. the study that Izzy led on. Yeah. That was good old social media predominantly. Absolutely. So yep. there's a flip side to that as well, where yep. we are mutually benefiting each other. Um, yep. You know, the social media does have so many pluses. Um, and, I, and I think it's spot on. It's the go-to at the moment.
0: Yeah, can, you?
1: can I say something that I thought about and I can't believe I haven't thought about this before now but one of the most <laughs> transformational things and one of the most kind of bits that I stopped and reflected upon from the guidelines were the fact that we had the Latvian Physiotherapy Association reach out to us and me and Emma actually did a oh, wee abstract no. video because they got permission to Sought permission, my husband always uh, corrects me, sought permission to um, translate the entire guideline because they didn't have women's health physical therapy. They didn't have a specialty of pelvic health. They had MSK and physiotherapy even. Yeah as a profession was very young in their country. Mm -hmm. So they were like, this is brilliant. We want to keep up with the rest of the world. And they were able to access that document. They were able to realize there's a whole, there's a world of people doing the specialism. And since then I went out actually in June and I did an introductory course to pelvic health physiotherapy. So they now have the first cohort of pelvic (sighs) health physiotherapists. a uh, Signa actually attended, I did the fourth trimester care event with the APTA Pelvic Health SIG yeah. um, back earlier at the start of 2022, and she represented Latvia. So we're having countries that traditionally have been outside mm. the sort of yes. very developed services, accessing information and coming on to stage and now communicating with us and forming links. And I'm like, that's what it's about. Yes.
0: Mm. Yes. No, I, and, and here's the thing too, that I, I get DMs usually every day, and I'll, I'll tap you guys from time to time of women all over the world that are reading this and saying how do I find somebody and also Mm -hmm. recognizing when the care isn't up to date in their country um and I, I think if if you're kind of just in your own world I know I had no sense of this until I started going to WCPT events um and understanding that in some countries just getting basic, what we think of as, you know, what we learned 20 years ago, there's countries just starting with that right now. And to your point with this dissemination of information, I think that's how you get changed too, is you get the public demanding, hey, I want a little bit more here. And you have providers saying, okay, well, how do I do that? And then people like you that are saying, hey, any way that I can help let me do that and but to your point if this if it weren't for this I mean we wouldn't be having this conversation if it weren't for social media you know yeah no. um the world got a lot smaller um in a good way for a change yeah, <laughs> yeah um, it really did
2: and and also as a consequence of uh the pandemic I am seeing I don't know how it works in the US I don't know if you you, you, you work like this but I you know I'm able to see women from Germany and Spain and all, yep. all countries to give advice you know obviously yep. I caveat that with I will always suggest they refer into a pelvic health physio close to them but if like some of our Latvian colleagues they don't have any access to public right. health physios it's a really cool thing to be able yes. to advise women online um, and so yeah the world's got smaller because of social yes. media and online thankfully and I do think it's opened up the opportunities for women to improve their pelvic health as, as a result yeah. of that.
0: So, I think so too. No, that's a yay. wonderful point. That's a wonderful point. So when is the next version coming? Is there a next version? <laughs> like what's what's the next baby we're looking at here? <laughs> uh,
1: well, I think in oh, principle um, we, we're doing that we're working on that Delphi study, which will then hopefully feed into, because there isn't even enough research to do a proper systematic review, you know? Yeah. So, and we need these sort of things before we can get formalized clinical practice guidelines. Right. Um, but in the meantime, there's lots of different bits and bobs going on. Um, I have actually after, remember, it was you who I messaged, actually, Carrie, do you remember I got asked to speak at AMSSM? Oh, yeah, yeah, I was yeah. Like, and you okay, met Kara voucher right? <laughs> yeah, but do you remember I emailed was like, I don't know. This seems too good to be true. Like, is this a thing? And you're like, never heard of it? And I was like, oh, it's spam. No, but I, I'm like, your the like,
0: Coucher's there. It's got to be yeah, legit. Thank goodness. <laughs> so thank
1: goodness you've seen that and that you recognise her because then you were. I was like, all right, okay. So mm. I went to. I have to say, it was one of the best conferences I've ever That's been awesome. to, and that was a sports medicine conference putting pelvic health on the radar. And yeah. again, it was born out of stuff like the guidelines. And um, but as a result of that, I have a. They asked me to write up a piece on sports medicine pelvic floor to go into their nice. sports medicine journal. So that'll be coming out, I think, in March. Mm-hmm. Um so that's the next thing. And then yeah, PhD. I'm looking to investigate adjuncts to return into running, basically, with the main oh, adjuncts wow. being education and compression garments. So I'll be looking at ah, those two.
0: Okay. So you Emma I, in meantime- <laughs> I, I wish I wish I didn't have to go at the end there because
1: Emma, really you are doing so much digital. elite sports. You're developing you, pelvic
2: health and elite uh, sports. You also UK. wrote a
0: book, by the way, mm-hmm. not not anything.
2: I get <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>, that book. <laughs> if, if you're listening, I'm swaying so you can see a, my the a picture of it. In the Why did no one tell oh, me? Teamless yeah. Brock, Emma
0: Brockwell.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> Emma, but what about uh, you've got a study coming up with the mouth? Oh, I mean, you know, I'm just rocking it really no what (laughs) am I doing I am yeah I mean I'm still always plugging my book um I'm really lucky that I still work with Bronya on uh The Athletic Female which is our online platform for healthcare and fitness professionals to really delve deep into the female athlete but I want to caveat that with when we say female athlete we mean anyone from recreational exerciser all the way to elite female athlete and yeah. we've brought on loads of world need experts to 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 help clinicians gain knowledge so that they feel more confident working with with these incredible women. So we're doing that, we've got our podcasts at your cervix the podcast that will be coming out spring summer time um which which is sort of similar in in the format we're just disseminating information trying to get it out there to women all about all things pelvic house um and then yeah i'm i'm really sort of passionate about working more with elite female sports teams so i'm doing some really lovely work with uh some premiership football teams um and some rugby as well and i'm doing a little bit of research with um, amal hassan who is a awesome sports medicine consultant and georgia provenal who's an amazing exercise physiologist but but you know i'm just kind of i'm the clinician and they're the they're the research people um but yeah i just want to kind of really get the message about the importance of pelvic health to the female athlete but also actually see it happen so be the clinician that's helping that happen and I know there's lots of lots of perfect health physios doing that as well but I'm I'm one of them and then continuing my work in clinic with my lovely lovely patients um so oh it's busy goodness. it's really busy it's um it's exciting yeah it's
0: cool and and never mind both of your moms and both of you oh, yeah. are active yeah. too
1: yeah. <laughs> Emma's more active yeah. than me she's a very um a very regular one <laughs> <I'm runner.
0: laughs> are, yeah, are I you mean, gonna I throw I a am. marathon in there for fun or what <laughs>
2: because one thing I will say is this since I've had I've not had I would say the easiest perimenopausal journey um I'm 43 I'm ancient and um one thing that's been very affected is my um my energy levels my my running really crushed my energy around running so I've um up the strength strength and conditioning finally mm. I'd love to do crossfit like you but um I'm not saying you have any more time than I t- do to have no. that but I, I, I'm not near a crossfit uh, arena to do it but I'd love to one day so I'm still running and crossfitting but Kanya also does loads of exercise she's you, come on to me <laughs> yeah, you. all right it, it, it cut out a wee
1: bit there I as, well oh. as well. <laughs> and, yeah so um, I, my exercise I do try but like it's really hard, like I'll I'll hopefully go and get a, a bit of a session in before the kids come home and we've got a bit of a makeshift gym here, but it's not that easy because it's very easy to deprioritize because you're like, oh, I've got this to do yes. or I've got a, a, a list of mm-hmm. this to do and you could easily go, oh, I'll I'll save that hour and I'll do this. But I've right. got stricter with myself to say self-care and pr- practice what I preach. So, yeah, um, I'm trying. I too would like to get into CrossFit more. And actually, after going down, I called into Aunt Lilo's... Um, double yes, there yes. the other day and um I'll look when you're in there you do get the bug and you see everyone who's really into CrossFit and you're just like oh my goodness it's that idea of being able to challenge yourself and yes. I, I love it so um I'll see um yeah I, I would like to maybe dabble <laughs> with that as well actually I just He's... think it'd be really good I think it'd be yeah,
0: it is. It I mean, he's I, I I think you guys both know, like he I met him. And then um, with his course, and I hadn't been doing anything. I think my youngest was three at that point, and then realized, Oh, my gosh, I need to be doing this. And then I live oh a block and a half from a CrossFit gym. It's actually over the fence from my office here. I go to a different one now, but it took me four months to get enough guts to walk in the door. Um, Mm. And for me, I had hip FAI surgery almost 16 years ago. And so adding load um, has been a life changing event for me. But now, this is the first year I haven't, I've never run a half. And so I'm actually I got a coach, I'm training for a half. But I, it's funny, the the number of workouts, the number of workouts that you know, the running workouts that she wants us to do um, and I put it in the Facebook group and I was like, I, 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 I'm, I go to the gym. I do Go to CrossFit two mornings a week. I'm not giving that up. Where do I put this other workout? In? And it was so cute because there was somebody in the group and she doesn't have kids. And she hopped on. She's like, can you go before CrossFit? I'm like, I get up at 440. No. <laughs> you get up at 440? Uh-huh. Wow. wow. For, full, for CrossFit? I, the, the, I'm, I'm at the gym by 515. Yeah. Wow. But that's so oh I can my get back goodness. in time to get kids to up. take yeah. to yeah. get the kids up and get them to school. And then the other mornings, I'm here in the office by six thirty. So I get up at that time and you know, I'll you know, do my thing before I come in. Oh. So it, it, it's 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 I, I wanted to bring up that you guys are really active too, because it's one of those things that it's one thing to talk about it, but I think it's another thing too to really understand I'm trying yeah. to do what I can and you've gotta make choices and you've got to watch your sleep. Like- yeah. But I also I've been so bad. I've been going to bed at like eight o'clock.
1: <laughs> I was going to ask you what time to go to bed at because I definitely get up later than you. Um, yeah. And but I go to bed later. And sometimes I'm like, should I get up earlier? And should I get up and do the workout and have it done? Yeah. Because then it's done, yeah. done.
0: It's done. The only problem yeah, being is if I don't, if I do a hard workout or go for a long run. I have to make sure that I have my entire day planned because it's really easy to just like tank. Yeah, so I have to absolutely. fuel and do a lot of protein and have a very clear idea of what I need to do before I need to pick the kids up mm. because otherwise unlike an administrative day, it's really easy, especially because it's gloomy today. <laughs> just <laughs> have a Little
2: snooze. Exactly. I know that's, <laughs> that's the thing and, and that's what I struggle with in this country. It's, it's dark from, yeah. It doesn't get light till
0: half seven. It gets dark at four. I'm finding your energy for that. It's oh no, really I hibernate wild. in winter. It's a conscious choice. So I, but I wanted to bring that up because it's, it's, it's one thing when you, you know, research and talk about this, that I think it's the other thing when, when you guys are walking the talk um, and oh, I just definitely. wanted to, yeah. to do this because. I'm... I'm not, anytime, I try,
1: anytime I'm trying to talk myself out of doing do my work, right, I'm going to be like, Carrie says we walk the walk. It's a guilt trip now. No, I'd be I sitting there
2: that. in my ear. I just said I can't find time for CrossFit but that's because Emma you need to get up at 4.40 to do it so I I really regret saying that I, I I will find the time
0: I will say though, that it wasn't always that way. Like I, I used to have this lovely 9 30 AM group at the gym that I could walk to and other moms. And we, you know, we drop the kids off and then I would go and that sort of thing. And then, you know, COVID sort of messed that up. And um, so it's a little bit different now, but I have a couple moms that our kids are similar age and we work out in the morning, you know, with the, with the 20 something dudes, but it's, again, it's to have it done. Um, and it's, I check the box and I get it done, but I, I you know, you're hanging with the 20-somethings. It's okay. Oh, <laughs> I love that. We make old lady jokes. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> so. You are not old, Carrie. My God. I'm, I'm older. Oh I God. think I'm older than both of you. I'm almost 47. So, you um, did do not look love 47. It. Oh, you're so sweet. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> the gray. I'm, I'm hiding the gray. I'm 30s early 40s. <laughs> So yeah, I'll be I'll be knocking on your door about the Perry stuff very, very soon, Emma. <laughs> Always right, we willing could talk. To listen. Oh, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. All right. We could talk all day. I know we could. I'm, I'm just incredibly thankful for you both. Um, just incredibly thankful for all the work that you do for, you know, your friendship, for, you know, you guys putting such good stuff out into the world. And one of these days, we will be in the same place mm. at the same time. And um, I, that. I can't. I, we'll, do, we'll do a workout. How about that? Oh, my goodness. CrossFit workout. We'll <laughs> bring Anthony you to you.
1: <laughs> As we said, we like... The vehicle to be able to combine stuff, connect people, put things out there, and translate it in a meaningful way that it's supposed to be is really important. And I really want to thank you for all you do because that's a time effort.
0: Like, we appreciate that. It just doesn't
1: happen. Happy to.
0: Happy to. to. If you want to find, (laughs) we go back. Find Emma. And Grenya over on Instagram. They're at, at Physiomum UK, which I used to think was Physio Mum and now I realized it was Physio Mom UK. I never even thought of that. <laughs> Physio Mum i got to start calling it them my own. You can find them I over think. there. They're, they post <laughs> up their research and good stuff. Um, and again, you can check out your, your courses that, that female. Was it, the athletic, athletic female. Athletic female. Oh my God, I want to say that wrong. <laughs> You can right. check that out. Yeah, that's it, Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate it. And um, uh, go for a run, go for a workout. I
1: definitely <laughs> want I, I can't not. I, I said I'm doing it, so I'm doing it.
0: Awesome. Thanks a lot, ladies. I'm Thank sorry. you. Bye. Did you enjoy the podcast? If so, leave us a five star review on iTunes and tell a friend to do the same. Are you a postpartum mom or postpartum pro wanting to know more about getting back to running after baby? check out all my free goodies on com. This podcast represents the opinions of Dr. Carrie Pagliano and her guests to the show. The content should not be taken as medical advice and is for entertainment purposes only. Always consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.